Okay. We are continuing, we're in the third week of a series on love, on love. And so, four loves to be exact. And so we've been talking about the four different uses of love in Scripture. And so today we come to uh, what is uh, the most risque of the four. And uh, we're talking about eros, we're talking about eros. But I started to think about it, so we've been talking about true love, right? Like, what is True love. And so I was reading some different things and uh, I read a poem uh, that I want to read you. And uh, it kind of encapsulates a lot of our feelings, doesn't it? And uh, here's what it says. It, the poem is called My Man. It says this, the man of my dreams the Lord gave to me. And all the married women said, wow, guys, <laughs> see you later. <laughs> Not even my wife gave me an amen. Unbelievable. I primed her for this. I said, I'm going to read a poem. Nothing. Wow. Or maybe we need this next line. We were married 39 years ago and we became we. What a profound statement. Together we are one, considered a team, pulled apart by distances in the extreme. When we are apart, my heart aches each day. I want to be with you. I want to stay. I want to be more than your reason to laugh. Because when I am alone, I am only half. Envelop me with your love. And take me in your arms. Let me see your puppy dog eyes and all your charms. I give you my all. I love you, my sweet. With you as my husband, I know I'm complete. Pretty good. Touches on some important themes that scripture lays out. What I love about it even more is that our very own Patty wrote it. Patty Schweitzer. And uh, she's got a whole book out and published. And uh, pretty awesome. So thank you. And it's uh, profound. But as I was reading some of that, you know, I think all of us, we kind of opened this series saying we all have a love story. And I told you my favorite are the bad ones. But really... When you think about it, we all are searching for love. Really the human experience, we spend much of our time looking for love. You know, and, and, and I'm no different, right? You know, I stand up here because of some gifting, and, but I'm really no different than you are, right? No more important than what you bring to the body of Christ. And so as we think about that and as we think about true love and as we come to this particular topic of intimate love or sexual love, what I want to do with you is not give you a bunch of things that are going to blow your mind. But what I do want to do is come on this post-Valentine's weekend, right? Whether it went great or poor, and you can determine that on your own. And I want to invite you into a conversation where we counsel each other biblically on what the Bible actually says. Because here's what I do know. I have been married coming up for 12 years in May. Come on, somebody. My wife has put up with me for almost 12 years. All right. But even in that 12 years, you know what I figured out? You don't need my opinions on love. You don't. And Camden could affirm that, 
I'm still a work in progress, right? You don't need a couple good ideas. You don't need a few tips. You need to know what the living God has to say about one of the most important parts of your life. True love. You see, because there, there is a temptation to get cute. But I want to be biblical today. I want to I wanna really challenge you from a passage of scripture. And let God counsel all of us, me included. On just how important this particular subject is. Because here's the reality. The Bible says many things about this gift. And it is a gift. It is a gift and it says a lot, but it also shares a ton of stories about the abuse of this gift, right? There's a positive and a negative, but if we dive even farther, we live in a culture that's really confused. Like if I was to look around us at the culture that we're in, there is major confusion Surrounding this idea of eros love. We want to have our cake and eat it too. We want to do what we want to do. And not pay the repercussions for it. But things like the Me Too movement happen. And you begin to see the conflict within our own culture. Of how do we address this thing that God created but we have confused. And so I just want to take you into scripture for that because um, sexual intimacy is a huge part of this culture and can't really understate that. One of the words that scripture uses for the abuse of it is a word in Greek called pornea. You can connect the dots, right, of what our culture has taken and abused and misconstrued and made its own thing. It's really one of the greatest footholds the devil has in the church of Jesus Christ today. I mean, really, the statistics, which I'm not going to read to you, but you could find yourself, are astonishing, disheartening, and quite frankly, really, really sinful. And we need to call it what it is, right? Because the scripture I read when I stood up here, Romans 8, 1, says that Christ has done what the law could not do. But you do not need know that you need Christ until the law has been held up in front of you and you know what is right and what is wrong. And I think you know that when it comes to this issue. Otherwise, you probably wouldn't be sitting here today. And so I want to talk about that. Because what is true is there is a creator and we are the created and he created this thing called love, this intimate love, with guidelines. And when you use anything in this life for its intended purpose, it is a good thing. And I want you to know that it is a good thing, right? You see, we have spent a lot of church culture, sub-church culture, um, making this gift feel bad. And I want you to know that even if you grew up in the church, I mean, if you were born at church like I was, not exactly, but it was close. 
that this is a good thing. This is a really good thing. And it's something that God created. And I don't want to walk us through that. And to guide our thoughts, I just want to read one verse with you as kind of the place that we're going to look to. And we'll touch some others as we go. But, but this particular verse clearly articulates both the gift and the giver. Right? Because the giver, the creator of the gift, gets to define how the gift is used properly. We can always abuse that. But here's what scripture says in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4. And I just want you to sit with this for a moment. It says this, let marriage be held in honor among all. And let the marriage bed be undefiled. For God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. And you can just leave that scripture up there for a second. Think about that. It says the marriage bed is undefiled. My mind immediately then goes to this question. What then defiles it? If it's a good thing that can be defiled, what is it that defiles it? And we're given that answer. Sexual immorality and adultery. But beyond that, beyond that negative aspect that we know and perhaps feel, what is beautiful about that verse is that if it can be defiled then it means it was created by God with a purpose, right? If we can mess the purpose up, it means there was a purpose to begin with. And that's important. Because sexual love, erotic love, is not a bad thing. Sex is not evil. And we need to know that. But it also doesn't need to make you uncomfortable. Right? It's normally uncomfortable in church. And it doesn't need to be because God made it. In fact, he made it all the way back at the beginning, right? Genesis chapter 2, verse 24 and 25 say this, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife. And as our poem this morning so aptly pointed out, Scripture says, And they shall become one flesh. And then here's verse 25. And the man and his wife were both naked and were what? Not ashamed. Shame has distorted our view of what God has created. And I want you to know that regardless of your past, your future in Christ can be free from shame in this area. And for some of you, that's the reason you're here today, because the Holy Spirit wants you to know that in Christ, you can be free. Totally free. Paul said it this way in the New Testament when he was writing the churches that he loved. He said, it is for freedom that Christ has set you free in Galatians. So I want you to know that. Because... Naked and not ashamed were Adam and Eve, God's creation. The bed, undefiled. There is a place for passion. God created sexual intimacy and it's the vehicle through which two human beings become one flesh. It's soul level 
kind of love. And so, because of that, because it's of great importance, sexual immorality and adultery, God will judge. Can I put it to you this way? If you're going to play with fire, you could finish it. You're going to get burnt, right? We know this. We know this. The best illustration for this is fire, isn't it? Proverbs is going to tell us that. I'll read that to you in just a minute. But Proverbs tells us that we will get burnt if we play with this fire. That it is better to get married than to burn with passion. That's what scripture says. But think about it. Fire is a great thing, isn't it? I mean, in the fireplace, doesn't fire look beautiful? In the fireplace, doesn't fire warm you? Not today, it's 84 degrees. (laughs) Bad illustration, Pastor. Right, but we get that. Some of you have a fireplace and you, you stoke that fire and you make it warm or we go outside and we build a bonfire and confined where it's supposed to be, it is a beautiful thing. It does many beautiful things. We light candles in our homes because they fill the place with a certain atmosphere that we love. It builds ambiance. It creates atmosphere. It's warm. It's a glow. But don't we also know that if we take that fire out of where it belongs and we put it somewhere else, it creates great, great devastation, doesn't it? Big time, right? If you were to take that fire and have some of it spill into your living room, it will destroy the entire house, right? The the only sin we're told to flee immediately in Scripture is this one, sexual immorality. We're told, flee it. Don't even stop, right? Like Joseph at Potiphar's house You leave the coat if you have to. You leave the computer if you have to. Are you tracking with me? You leave the relationship if you have to. Because it's this important. Because this fire, when it gets stoked in the wrong place, can burn the house down. Scripture tells us that you are, if you are in Christ, you are the temple of the living God. He dwells within you. And the scripture says your body is not your own. You are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body. God has created this beautiful thing. This intimate place. But the fireplace for it is marriage. And we must leave the fire in the fireplace. Because marriage is good. It's honorable. But I also want you to know that it doesn't say you have to get married. You see, because this is a series called Four Loves. To be authentically in loving relationships does not require you to have eros, love. Eros, love can build on the love that you already have, but you do not need this love. Singles, can I tell you, if you're sitting here today, you don't need this kind of love to have true love. And that's the lie that our culture is pushing and peddling to you. That without this kind of sexual intimacy, you cannot be fool in this life. And that's a lie from the devil. You do not need this love 
to have true love. Because God will judge what is misused. And if this is not the gift that he chose for you, he will give you a gift like celibacy, which is another gift. And it is a gift and it is good because it's a gift from God. And scripture tells us that every good and perfect gift comes down from the father above. So I don't want you to believe the lie that Satan is selling. Because though this is a good thing, souls uniting as one flesh, it is not everything. Besides, if you get married, you're going to create more problems than you had before. Can I get an amen? It's okay if you don't have this part of love in your life. God will, can and will fill that void in your life. There is a safe place where this kind of intimacy must be fostered and stoked. And if you're married today, can I just encourage you to stoke that fire? That it is the thing that God created that unites you on a soul level and you can enjoy that with no shame, right? Scripture says naked and unashamed. I love the way C.S. Lewis in his book kind of expounds on this and really the main thought that I took from him on this is this and it will be on the screen for you. Sexual desire without eros wants it. That's the abuse, right? That you can have sexual desire without love, without this eros love. Eros takes your desires and moves them into a new category. What's that look like? If sexual desire without eros wants it, the thing itself, the pleasure, eros then wants the beloved. Now eros makes a man really want not a woman, but a particular woman. In some mysterious fashion, the lover desires the beloved herself, not the pleasure she can give. And you can reverse that to be the woman and the man. But that is what God created. You see, culture is selling you that erotic love is a dirty love. And God would say, no, I created that kind of love and I put it in a certain place for you to enjoy it because it is a good and perfect gift from above. And it has spiritual ties where it unites you as one flesh and it is wonderful because God made it. But... It is important for you to know that if that is not a part of your future, it's okay. It is also important for you to know that if that is a part of your past that is broken, that there is so much grace and so much forgiveness and acceptance available in Jesus. No matter what your story is. Because listen to me, darkness is destroyed when it's brought into the light. Right? Darkness goes away when light comes in. That's the way God made it, right? First John chapter 1 verse 5 to 7 says this, This is the message we have heard from Him and proclaimed to you that God is light. And in Him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with Him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. 
Some of you are walking in darkness today and I want you to know that you can step into the light. The, the lie that Satan is selling to you is that you need to stay in the dark. And what you need to know is that I am a sinner, you are a sinner, we're all sinners and we've been saved by the grace of God. So if that is your story today, I want to invite you to step into the light. Why? Because verse 7, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And look at this, the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. You can walk in the light can walk in the light we say what does that practically look like it looks like galatians 5 24 here's what that says it says those who belong to christ jesus has have crucified the flesh along with its passions and desires it's a confession it's a confession of my sin it's calling sin what it is sin and stepping into the light amen It's available to you. It's available to you. You can do that right now. You can crucify your flesh right now. But I don't want you to just take my word for it. You should take the Bible's word for it. And I've actually asked one of the couples in our church family if they would come up and share their story with you. Uh, Jamie and Andrew Leatherman lead a ministry that we are piloting right now called Regen. And uh, it is... Honestly, friends, it's it's the best thing we've got going because it's a place where you can be real <laughs> and walk with your brothers and sisters into freedom. And so they're doing an incredible job and uh, we're like aimed towards the fall in launching it to the whole body and uh, it's awesome. So thank you for leading that, but thank you for being up here and sharing your story. I know it's not easy. But uh, we love you guys, and uh, you guys pay attention. This is awesome. Oh, check. Oh, hi. Okay. All right. So, yeah, I'm Jamie, um, and this is my husband, Andrew, and we are going to tell you our love story. Um, but it's not a pretty one, so get your children out of here. Um, here we go. Okay. Um, so my name is Jamie and I am a new creation in Christ. Thank you. Hi. And I'm recovering from childhood sexual abuse and my own infidelity in my marriage. I grew up in church. I said the sinner's prayer when I was four. My parents divorced when I was five. Around this same time, I was sexually abused. My mother was an alcoholic and a drug addict moving from town to town, boyfriend to boyfriend, marriage to marriage. You get it. I saw a lot before the age of 13, things I wish I had never seen. I was forced to grow up very fast. I wanted to grow up for one reason, to be able to control my life and what happened to me. Uh, My father remarried soon after my parents got divorced to someone who, in my view, saved our family, my stepmom. They still had their issues in their marriage while we kids were growing up, mostly fights having to do with my birth mother. I saw a lot. Her issues in marriage while we kids were growing up, oh, I'm sorry, her life took a toll on my dad's new marriage, uh, and we kids, we saw the damage. As the middle child, I played the referee in our house. I was always trying to control everything, trying to keep the family together and make sure uh, that my parents stayed together. Um, We didn't want to bear another divorce. The only way I can control everything was to keep them together. 
Uh, I spent my entire childhood playing a therapist to my three grown adult parents. This was a lot of trauma for a child to endure. But I responded sinfully to it rather than turning to God to heal me. I started sleeping around when I was 18. I was looking for attention uh, that I wasn't getting at home because everyone was focused on my parents' drama. I started drinking a lot in my early 20s to escape. When I drank, I was the only one that mattered. I felt I deserved to matter. And I was living the lifestyle of an average party girl. You know the kind. Uh, this kind of living continued all the way until I was about 28. Keep in mind, I was in church throughout all of this. Uh, Andrew and I met when we were kids in church. We've known each other a long time. We weren't very close, more like acquaintances. Um, but we ended up running into each other when we were both living in Virginia. While I was living there, my dad had his first extramarital affair. Uh, it crushed me, and I responded by more partying. <laughs> I ended up moving back to Tampa, and Andrew ended up moving back too. We ended up in the same worship band. That was God. Uh, we started dating, and I quickly knew that I loved Andrew, and I wanted to marry him because he was a good Christian man who came from a good Christian family. Uh, it was when Andrew and I were dating that my dad had his second extramarital affair. I was crushed, again. I hated my dad, my dad for a really long time. Uh, this hate, in a weird way, strengthened my resolve to pursue Andrew. I wanted to replace my screwed-up family with a new family. I wanted to lock Andrew in. But I had a lot of rules and boundaries in place for him. Uh, I pursued him pretty hard. Oh, yeah. Uh, but because I had to control everything, I thought Andrew would bring me minimal pain because uh, of all the rules I had in place for him. I thought that if I could marry this good Christian man, I could control how my marriage worked. I thought I could prevent the same kind of troubles that I saw in my parents' marriage uh, by handpicking the right guy. Through all of this, I still wasn't willing to work on my sin. I was barely hanging on spiritually, but I expected Andrew and our marriage to be the magic potion that would fix everything. I avoided abiding daily with Jesus and dealing with my sin and my family's sinful lineage. I carried on through the honeymoon phase of our marriage like nothing was wrong. And our first year of marriage was bliss, right? It was totally bliss. You said so. <laughs> I'm leaving. Okay. Uh, but, 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 but. Then I got pregnant. For as long as I can remember, I never wanted kids. I did not want to bring a kid into the same crappy world. Can I say crappy? Uh, and crappy family that I had been a part of my whole life. Uh, when Emily was born, I suffered from postpartum. I wasn't ready to deal with the things that having children requires you to deal with. You know, like sin and stuff. Um, I kind of avoided her at every cost. I was scared of her. I started to pull away from her and from Andrew. It wasn't this pulling up. Can you scroll? It was in this pulling away, um, I noticed a man at work paying attention to me. We had an affair. I became the very thing I hated, like my dad, because I couldn't deal with my own sin, my shortcomings, or my trauma. The affair lasted for a year. I was separated from Andrew living with a friend. I had divorce papers drafted, and I was just waiting to save money for an attorney to pull the plug. After about a year with this other guy, feeling desperate and more lonely than ever, I started reading uh, Louis Giglio's book called Goliath Must Fall, Winning the Battle Against Your Giants. I realized through reading it that my giant that God wanted to slay was adultery and not just my own. So I did. And something that you need to know about Andrew, Andrew had faith throughout most of my affair, which he'll tell you was the worst season of his life, that our covenant with each other and with God was worth fighting for. During the whole time I was running from God, Andrew made it clear that he was going to keep fighting. So when I finally reached out to him in hopes of reconciliation, he was hesitant, 
but it didn't take him long to let me know he would take me back. He was my Hosea. Slowly but surely, God started to rebuild the foundation of our broken home. I'm going to start off the same way. My name is Andrew. Uh, I'm a new creation in Christ. Thank you. And I am recovering from codependency, fear, anger, bitterness, and hate. Um, We'll leave it there for now. Um, (laughs) I grew up in a Christian home. My parents have been married since 1969 and have lived in the same house since before I was born. So my my parents raised my sister and I in church and in a Christian school. I grew up going to church eight eight days a week. when I, when I was five, my dad led me to Jesus. I grew up with a very consistent, sheltered, love-filled home. Because of the protected life I had, I began to assume that I was the exception to the rule. Nothing really bad would happen to me. You know, no, Nothing ever did in my first 25 to 30 years. Um, I also grew up uh, fearing people. Uh, nothing traumatic to cause it. It just creeped into my life since I could remember. Uh, as Jamie said, we've known each other most of our lives. Uh, it wasn't until 2011 that she, <laughs> that she noticed me, and I noticed her. Uh, um, uh, but yeah, we started dating, and I very quickly began to see the damage that her past had caused, but had zero clue how to handle it except by being a consistent presence in her life. Uh, it was almost daily that she would give me an opportunity to walk away, uh, but I continued to dig my heels in deeper and say, I'm not going anywhere. Um, what could go wrong? I was being a good man. God had to be pleased with that. So nothing bad would happen to me. Uh, I'm the exception to the rule, remember? Uh, a few months into dating, Jamie's father ends up having an affair with someone very close to our family, uh, to her family. This, this caused even more pain in Jamie from the past traumas brought into her life. But this time, I'm present while all of it unfolds. Uh, I began to start fearing Jamie, uh, fearing that I would hurt her, let her down, disappoint her, uh, not be the exception to all the other men in the world. Uh, And I began to idolize her. I began to spend more time thinking about what would make her happy, uh, more so than spending time with God. My focus turned from God uh, over to her. She was my God. Because my focus never really returned to Christ, my my fear of people in general became uh, uh, overwhelming. I started to get angry with people who caused her harm. Uh, I was seeing how I was dealing with the uh, ripple effects of those people and started to build bitterness and anger towards them. Uh, Jamie and I ended up getting married in September of 2014, um, and things were, were good for us. Uh, by 2016, um, our collective income was, wasn't bad at all. Uh, we had also bought our first house. The Cubs won the freaking World Series. And we had our daughter. So 2016 was the best year of my life. Um, The chain of events uh, further confirmed my thought that I was the exception to the rule. Uh, Then 2017 hit. Uh, In late February of 2017, uh, Jamie sat me down and told me that she was having an affair. Uh, All my fears of people and my idea of being the exception to the rule uh, came completely crashing down. Over the next year, I lived uh, leaning into Christ out of a complete um, position of pain, anger, rage, terror, neglect, and um, a spiritual muscle memory uh, from, from growing up. I had a lot of angry conversations with him. 
uh, some expressing my doubt that him and his ways were realistic for my situation. Um, when Jamie asked, uh, when she sat me down and said that she wanted to work on things and wanted uh, to reinvest in our marriage, I was skeptical because in my mind, you know, God could save anyone, but they have not, he's not really dealt with her. <laughs> In her, in her stubbornness. And so I was like, God, it's Jamie we're talking about. So, um, but what I've found since then uh, is forgiveness for Jamie. Uh, but I need to find forgiveness for people involved. Um, one of the, the passages that uh, really helped me out through that time, um, and uh, Mitch actually kind of spoke a little bit towards it um, with Joseph in the Code of Many Colors, um, in Genesis 50, after Joseph had already been betrayed by his brothers, had 30 to 40 years of just terrible torment because of the things his brother did to him, he had to bury his own father. Uh, and afterwards, they were terrified of him. They thought, uh, his brothers thought that they, you know, he, they would be ruined by him for what they did to him. Um, but in Genesis 50, verses 19 and 20, Joseph says to them, um, Do not be afraid. For am I in God's place? As for you, you meant evil against me. But God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result, to preserve many people alive. Uh, God put Joseph in a place where he was saving people from famine. Um, And those were all because of terrible deeds that people did to him. Um, But he he saw that God was going to draw a straight line with a crooked stick. I'm going to pass it over to Jamie. Um, so today I'm still working through some of the trauma that I experienced in my childhood, and that's why God put the desire on my heart to start a recovery ministry here, Regen. The truth is I may always be in recovery from this stuff, um, but to God be the glory for what he has done in our marriage and in taking me out of the lifestyle that I was in. Uh, life is messy, but God can clean it up and turn it into an op- opportunity to tell our story to others who might be wrestling with these types of lies from the enemy, telling them that an affair is the way out, or concealing childhood sexual abuse won't have lasting consequences, or responding to trauma by sleeping around or binge drinking or you name it, fill in the blank. We tell our story so that others will see that there is another way, Jesus. He offers healing and restoration, and we're proof. And God's not done yet. Um, I still struggle with anger, bitterness, and hate on a regular basis. Um, those can be very stealth, uh, but extremely dangerous all at the same time. Um, even just last night, I failed at those all at the same time. So we, we don't in any way claim a rival at any point of life in this. Um, we've just had front row seats to what God can do with chaotic messes when you lean into them. So we just want to leave you guys with a passage um, from Job. Uh, And it's Job 22, 21 through 23. Submit to God and you will have peace. Then things will go well for you. Listen to his instructions and store them into your heart. If you return to the Almighty, you will be restored. So clean up your life. Thank you. takes a lot of courage. Thank you, guys. You know, I've wrestled with how to 
can even come up after that. It speaks for itself, doesn't it? That God is in the business of bringing dead things to life. And here's the reality, is that that's their story, but you and I have a story too. You know, it might be fear of man, it might be some other hidden thing that you're a slave to. But what I do know is that there's a God in heaven who sent his son so that you could be free. And so I want to take this moment and take communion with you. And uh, I want to do it a little bit different from Scripture's way. And uh, so if you want to grab the elements, they're right in front of you. If you're not a follower of Jesus, I would encourage you to just sit this one out. Not because uh, there's no uh, grace available to you. There is. But I think it, it, it begins with the relationship with Jesus. And so uh, if you're not a follower of Jesus, I would encourage you to surrender your life to him right now. That in this moment, the Bible says if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved and then you can dive right in with us. And uh, we want that. But as I was thinking about Jamie and Andrew's story and what it takes for us to, to go there and to be honest and to be real and to be genuine means we need to eat from a different place than this world gives. Does that make sense? That, that we, we feed our flesh so often. And as I was thinking about that, I was reminded of John chapter 6, where Jesus is talking to a crowd, and his disciples, of course, are there, and uh, they're calling Jesus rabbi, and they're asking him questions, and a lot of times it's to stump him but they they ask him a question they say they say rabbi jesus why did you come here it's a great question right why would you the god of heaven step out of the splendors that are heaven with your father and with the spirit of god to step out of that triune existence that kevin mentioned at the beginning of our service and here was jesus answer i want to just read a couple of these verses to you from John chapter 6 that, that he says is why he came. In verse 27 of John 6, he says this, Do not labor for the food that perishes, but the food that endures to eternal life. What you feed will grow. Particularly in this area of love, What you feed will grow. And Jesus said, don't labor for the food that will die. Drop down to verse 31. Here's what he says. He says, our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. Story of the Israelites in the wilderness. Because as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. So that manna that fell from heaven was a a sign of one that was to come that would satisfy the longings in your soul. Because verse 33 says, For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Listen, I've been alive long enough to know that there are seasons in your life where you will feel like things are dead. And you might be in one of those seasons right now. 
And I want to encourage you that wrapped up in the story of these little elements is life. This is one of the gifts that God's given to his church, to us, to the body, is that we can eat of the bread of life. Because verse 35 is our hope. Listen to it. It says, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. That's the bread. And then he says this, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. That's the wine, the juice. That wrapped up in these elements are the story of what you and I need. It's the place that can satisfy It's the place where your longings are met. Your hunger is fed. Your thirst is quenched. And just like their story, you can, you can search for that in a million places and we all do. But we can all confess in this moment that they do not satisfy. But that in Jesus, the bread of life, you can be filled. And so this morning, I, I just, I want to close with that and I want to invite you, if you are walking in the dark, that beginning in this moment as we take these elements and we break this little wafer, which I encourage you to do because Jesus' body was broken for you, that in that moment, you can step into the light. You can confess your sin before the God of heaven. And you can eat the bread of life. That in these elements we have a natural way into the supernatural. That in this place this is where God meets us. That if you will come to Jesus. You will be filled. You will be satisfied. And so if you'll grab the bread. Scripture tells us that when Jesus was with his disciples on that last supper that he took bread and he broke it and said, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So we take the bread. And scripture says that it was after that that he took the cup. And Carl explained a few weeks ago about that cup, that it was a special cup. It was a cup you weren't supposed to grab. It's because Jesus was bringing a new covenant. He was going to once and for all satisfy a righteous God so that you and I could do what verse 35 says. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. You can be satisfied today in Jesus, not in any of the things of this world, but in Jesus Christ. And so Jesus took the cup, the Bible says, on the night he was betrayed. And he blessed it. And he said, do this in remembrance of me. Aren't you grateful for Jesus today? Amen. The band's going to come up and they're going to lead us in a song of response. And I would encourage you to respond. That you would deal with, that you would enter in to whatever it is that the Lord is doing in your life. He's speaking. He's moving. The question is, are we listening or are we ignoring?